Hello and welcome to the second episode of SMET Network's podcast series, Tourism and in the Metropolis. This time we are focusing on nighttime and the metropolis. SMET Network brings together scholars from two leading higher education institutions in urban tourism studies, University of Westminster and Paris 1 Panthéon-Sorbonne. It encourages collaborations across research, teaching and outreach and taps into the potential a dialogue between metropolises affords. We are looking at commonalities and differences seen in world tourism cities in an attempt to understand the development and management practices, as well as help implement innovations in sustainable metropolitan tourism. My name is Maya Jovic and I am a senior lecturer in architecture and tourism at the University of Westminster. And my name is Adam Eldridge and I'm a senior lecturer in sociology at the University of Westminster. For this episode, we are joined by Jordi Nofre, an FCT Associate Research Professor in Urban Geography at the Interdisciplinary Centre of Social Sciences at Nova University of Lisbon. His research includes three main topics, nightlife, tourism and urban change in South European cities, social geographies of youth in Euro-Mediterranean countries, and environment, global change and society. Widely published and cited, Jordi is the founder and coordinator of Alex Knight's research group, an international team of scholars working on the geographies of the nocturnal city. He's a co-founder of the International Night Studies Network and acts as a scientific advisor to a number of projects, including the Barcelona Night Committee. Across the Atlantic, we're joined by Marcos Paulo Vejera Gegois, who holds a PhD in geography from the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro. He defended his thesis on the subject of nocturnal landscapes in the city of Rio de Janeiro in 2015 and works as an adjunct professor in the Department of Geography. His experience is in the field of urban and cultural geography, working mainly on the topics of tourist urbanization, public policies and representations of the city, urban economy and urban nightscapes. A big welcome to Marcos and Jordi and thank you for joining us. It's really nice to be here. I've Thank you all for the invitation to be part of this podcast about a, such a relevant topic nowadays, and not only in the context of Europe, but also in South America. So I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm also really happy to be here uh, in this uh, podcast. Actually, it's my first participation in a podcast, so <laughs> let's see uh, what happens. But um, yeah, it's a very exciting topic, uh, also especially in greatest cities of Southern Europe, like uh, Barcelona, for example, and also Lisbon. And it's a really interesting topic. I'm very glad to to chat with, with you today about yeah, uh, metropolitan tourism. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, and it also it's a very new topic uh, in the academy, right? So thank you very much for your kind invitation. Let's start things off with a big question. How would you say the size and complexity of both Rio and Barcelona, as well as other metropolitan cities, might be a factor in the way tourism is developing in these places? It's an interesting topic of discussion. And what can I say about the case of Rio? Rio is a metropolis, of course, but tourism is in Rio doesn't not seem to be metropolitan in some sense. And we have a population of almost 7 million people, and this without considering the metropolitan area. So Rio is also a city with great diversity of the ways people occupy the urban space. And there are great uh, social inequalities, as you might know, 
problems with housing, and this is also reflected in access to public programs and urban practice structure. These elements, I think, uh, maybe influence tourism in some ways. Firstly, the unequal, uh, unequal offer of tourist facilities in the city, and they are concentrated in the central area and the coast area, as you can remember images of Copacabana and the rest of the city hardly appears on tourist maps. And with the exception, perhaps the Maracanã Stadium that's worldwide known because of the soccer team. And this picture has changed somewhat in recent years. New ideas for diversifying tourism and expanding the offer of activities began to appear in Rio de Janeiro. And this has a certain relationship with uh, the election of the city as a cultural landscape by UNESCO in recent years. But it's important for me to say that the expansion of tourism has also taken place in the context of major sporting events. And for example, the World Cup, the Soccer World Cup in, in 2014 and the Summer Olympics in 2016. In this case, uh, I should add something that the Barcelona, the Catalan model has been revived in Rio by mayors and with the objective of producing an urban renovation, especially in the port, in the port area and on the outskirts of the city center. And I would say that the problem has not been the size in itself, maybe, but the complexity, complexity of creating tourist activities outside of the mainstream areas. So we have some issues uh, now, and in, in people are studying about the gentrification of the downtown center and the downtown area. So I think it's a, a good topic to, to discuss today. If we can turn to you now, Jordi, could you say a little bit more about the Barcelona model and its significance to metropolitan tourism? Yeah, Barcelona was the became the model uh, of uh, tourism-oriented urban regeneration for many cities across the globe. Uh, it's a it's, it's it's the name or the label of uh, an extreme neoliberal urbanism. Uh, much devoted to leisure, to tourism, and uh, they industrialize the urban and even the metropolitan space. But um, in the case of Barcelona, this tourism-oriented urban uh, development uh, dates back from the 19th, the late 19th century, uh, when many planners, engineers, and architects uh, had already posed the need of expanding the city beyond the city center itself. Um, one of them, for example, was uh, Mr. Delphonse Sardà, the father of modern Barcelona. At the turn of the century, in the early 19th, um, Barcelona was an important industrial and tourist city at the European level. Uh, but tourism visitors um, didn't go far beyond the surroundings of the harbour area because it was a Pretty dangerous city at that time. But of course, the city has expanded and nowadays has a population, well, it's not like Rio de Janeiro, of course, but it has a population of almost 1.7 1. million. The metropolitan area includes um, around uh, 32 towns with a population of 3.2 million. But despite tourism started um, 
to expand beyond the city of Barcelona from the Olympic Games in 1992, many metropolitan towns uh, took the Barcelona model to, to make urban regeneration plans and so on. It's interesting because uh, billions were invested to improve the quality of public space, not also in Barcelona, but the, the metropolitan towns of Barcelona, to improve the built environment was an important issue at that time, to build new public and private equipment, to build new urban and metropolitan public transport infrastructure, uh, suburban so trains, underground, and so on, to transform both urban and metropolitan beach fronts into leisure spaces. Like uh, we can say today, for example, in Barcelona Beachfront or other suburban towns, for example, like uh, like Badalona, for example, North Barcelona. And uh, these billions were also invested to build a new international, or to expand the airport and to transform it from a domestic airport to an international airport. And of course, these billions were also invested to build a new cruisers. So... What is interesting is that the, metropolit the metropolitanization of the city took place one century before the metropolitanization of tourism. For example, many tourists staying in Barcelona today uh, visit other coastal towns of the metropolitan region like Sitges, especially LGTB people, Calella, or even other Catalan towns like Girona, northern Catalonia, because of its important cultural and historical heritage. It's interesting because there is like a a special and a time gap between both processes, the metropolitanization of the city and the metropolitanization of tourism. And it can be explained because of existence of internal political uh, reasons. Uh, very shortly, uh, the Catalan nationalism has traditionally seen the city of Barcelona and its metropolitan area as a threat for the conservative uh, nationalist project. While socialist, communist, and anarchist movements, parties, politicians, and so on, have seen Barcelona and its metropolitan area as an economic locomotive uh, that should make possible a greater social justice for the Catalan people. So the size of Barcelona and its metropolitan area matters a lot in Catalonia, not only for economical reasons, but political reasons, especially in these current times uh, of conflict with the Spanish government. So, yeah, it's a small city, much smaller city than Rio de Janeiro. But what is interesting is like uh, there is a global urban tourism affecting all all cities across the globe, independently of the size and the scale of the city. So from what was just mentioned, it's becoming evident the overlaps are many. We've got the hallmark events, diversity, complexities of creating this offer, uh, geographic and population expansion, the sheer historic relevance and even historic connections between the cities. So now, could we perhaps look at the challenges and opportunities that you find arise in your respective metropolises, specifically because of the size? This could be the varying degrees of resilience to changes and development of tourism, or perhaps we could hear more about diversity, the kind of challenges and opportunities that arise from distinctly metropolitan qualities of cities rather than size. This is interesting, Maya. And if we think about the challenges, and, and, and I already talked about the size of Rio de Janeiro and metropolitan area, and tourism in, in Rio, in the state of Rio de Janeiro also, is not limited to the, to the, to the urban side of, of the city of Rio. You have these coastal areas around the city. You have this green coast and the lake coast 
that people, when visiting Rio, usually uh, travel to these places that is two hours, two, three hours driving by car. So it's really expanding tourism when thinking about Rio de Janeiro. If you think about the challenges, we may find in the city of Rio a problem that I can say that it's readability, the, um, the capacity to read and understand how the city works and how it functions in the in a daily life. I think it's the first challenge that we that tourists find when in traveling to Rio de Janeiro. The size and complexity of the city makes it very easy to get lost and you may end up in dangerous areas, which may remind me uh, of another challenge. Uh, it's urban violence. And it's a problem for tourism and also a problem for nightlife. But this is a challenge, the violence, and that must be faced if we want to promote tourism in these places. And I think the, the political parties is really, really discussing this extremely nowadays in Rio, not only Rio, but also in Brazil um, in some sense. And the size of the city and its complexity can also be a cognitive challenge for visitors, as I said. In some cases, um, the tourism authorities themselves inform tourists about such dangerous circumstances. And it's a, a kind of a map of danger in Rio. You have these kinds of, of maps. Um, and it's interesting to see how the city is, is, is imagined, not only by the tourists, but also uh, from the tourism authorities also. However, I believe this does not uh, um, improve the city's image ab uh, abroad. I think maybe the image of the uh, of Rio is a violent place. I know there's all these natural beauties that comes with the image, but I think the image is also of a violent place. So it's complicated and it's related with size and, and the, the, the complexity of the city. And, but the complexity also shows itself as diversity, and there are important centers of popular culture in suburban areas and middle-class neighborhoods. And this diversity has a great tourist potential, I think, especially when we, eat, we include music as a main component. And I think it's being exploited right now by the local government. So if we think about the city at night, I could give some examples of commercial or residential areas that take on new colors, new sounds at night, truly lively places at night, and parts of the city that don't appear on the city tourist maps, but that are places of fun and lots of artistic creativity. Today is called underground, and but it's already undergoing transformation to become better known activities. So even if there is a risk of developing a uh, gentrification process in Rio right now. Jordi, can I ask you the same question? Um, thinking about some of the challenges and also some of the opportunities of metropolitan tourism in Barcelona. 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, there are many challenges related to the governance of foreign um, tourism in Barcelona and its metropolitan region, of course. Uh, many towns beyond Barcelona take benefits from the expansion of urban tourism in Barcelona. It's, uh, but it's not about receiving thousands and thousands of visitors and tourists, but the special expansion of the hotel industry and also including tourism apartments industry. Um, for example, in 2019, there were almost 90, uh, 97,000 hotel beds in Barcelona and its metropolitan area, but only 18% of them were located at metropolitan towns. And there were uh, also um, 18,000 Airbnb apartments in the city of Barcelona, but only 13% of them were located out of the city. Uh, but it's important to note the special distribution of this tourism industry in expansion in the metropolitan area at neighborhood level. Because the location of these hotels and tourism apartments are mainly located in central areas of these metropolitan towns or even in areas located near important highways connecting to, to the airport. So there are like a void areas that can be identified as stigmatized, racialized areas of these towns because of the high presence of migrants from poor countries, mainly from Latin America, Maghreb, and, and Southeast uh, Asia countries. Yeah, but there is a many challenges. For example, uh, one of them is over-tourism in Barcelona city center. Over-tourism in the city center of Barcelona uh, has involved uh, the rapid touristification of non-central areas of the city. And uh, this is critical uh, for the local communities of Barcelona and also for the local communities of metropolitan towns that are receiving uh, many uh, tourists uh, that want to experience uh, their stay like, like a local. But the main challenge and the main problem is that um, uh, city councils have neither mechanisms and nor sufficient resources to mitigate and address negative impacts derived from a rapid touristification. But at the same time, um, I think that we have today a really challenging opportunity to think and manage the expansion of tourism across the metropolitan region of Barcelona in a coordinated way in order to protect environment, local cultural and historical heritage, and of course, to protect local communities from aggressive touristification. And in particular, the expansion of urban tourism has also involved the destruction of traditional retailscape in Barcelona, but also uh, in the metropolitan towns. Of course, um, such a rapid touristification has also involved a profound transformation of local nightlife with the destruction of tangible and intangible cultural heritage of the nocturnal city. Could you say a bit more about the importance of nightlife to Barcelona? Uh, thinking as well, um, of course, about what sort of nightlife or, or who's attracted to the nightlife in Barcelona. Yeah, actually, nightlife is central for the attraction of especially young tourists to Barcelona. 23% of tourists visiting Spain um, do it because of nightlife of Spanish cities and as well as a fiesta in coastal urban resorts like um, Benidorm, like Gandia, like Salou in Spain. No? And uh, in Catalonia, we have our coastal urban resorts like Salou, Cambrils, uh, Playa Daru, uh, Lloret de Mar, and so on. So it's important nightlife for the attraction of tourists. And it's important nightlife for the attraction of tourists to Barcelona, especially uh, during this uh, uh, present pandemic, 
because um, of course it's prohibited to drink outside. It's prohibited to to stay uh, to stay at public space at late night because of the night curfew and so on. But there were thousands of tourists in Barcelona. Uh, even today, even in this current times of COVID-19. Um, but in the particular case of Barcelona, we have to mention uh, the existence of an interesting uh, clubbing scene, of course, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And much more importantly, um, yeah, Barcelona has very warm uh, summer nights. As I just said, it's prohibited to, to, to drink in the middle of the street or at the beach, but there is not much Polish pressure. Uh, so. Every summer night, you can uh, you can see thousands drinking at the beach and other central places like uh, squares, parks, and so on. So, yeah, the very attraction of Barcelona for many young tourists is that you can do what you can't in your home city. That's a very special attraction of Barcelona for young tourists, especially regarding its nightlife. On the other hand, um, while metropolitan towns are still an unknown territory for tourists at night, some of them uh, go to alternative parties and raves in specific places of the metropolitan region, like abandoned warehouses or squattered places. So we can speak of an alternative tourism played by young tourists belonging to alternative or anti-capitalist movements in their home uh, cities. But uh, what, I would, uh, what I would like to say is that um, since mid 20s until the outbreak of the pandemic, there was an increase in laser-related mobility at metropolitan level during nighttime hours. This was consequence of the diminishing number of nightlife venues in Barcelona since the 90s, the past century, as well as the dramatic touristification of local nightlife. Uh, I would like to mention that the size reduction of the nightlife industry in Barcelona city center. Uh, has been one of the main goals of the local administration since the celebration of the Olympic Games. Um, this strategy was carried out, for example, by withdrawing venues licenses and by dramatically reducing the number of new licenses for nightlife venues outside the city center as well. But however, new licenses for hospitality and some tourist-oriented nightlife venues in, has increased significantly in the Old Town District, in Raval, in Gothic, in Barcelona neighborhoods, especially over the past decade. So um, there is like two patterns regarding uh, nightlife and tourism in Barcelona and uh, the metropolitan towns. Uh, there is a a very concentrated area in the Barcelona city center, the Old Town District, that uh, nightlife is an important economic activity for this area of the city. But um, uh, nightlife has reduced its size outside the city center and especially in metropolitan towns because of political reasons regarding a kind of moralization towards uh, Catalan youth and so on. And especially this kind of moralization uh, for the uh, Catalan youth uh, has been very related to the um, institutional fight against um, youth subcultures, especially in the suburbs of Barcelona and the metropolitan towns. Marcos, could I come in and ask you the, um, the same question? If you could tell us a little bit about the importance of the night or nightlife to tourism in Rio? I think uh, it's uh, amazing that 
you can find some similarities with the case of Barcelona because I think the, the use of public spaces is something valued by the population also for the tourists that came to Rio de Janeiro. And you have also this kind of moralization and behavioral control way of thinking about nightlife in Rio today. At the same time, we have some differences that uh, I can address right now because it's difficult for me and it's, it's difficult to, to know the fact that night in Rio, the nightlife in Rio, has on the attraction of tourists. I don't think it's the main activity that is promoted by tourism agencies and the government. And also, I don't believe that the image of Rio's nightlife is very well known outside the country. I really don't know about that. I, I'm, I'm really don't know about that. And perhaps Lapa, it um, could be a place recognized by for for its nightlife. Lapa is a neighborhood close to downtown area. It's a neighborhood of nightlife, a night night nightlife neighborhood, I, I should say. You have a concentration of activities that is only activated at night. So, and maybe it's uh, Lapa is the place recognized for its nightlife in Rio. But I don't know if it's something that determines the choice of a tourist. And I don't know if people travel to Rio because of its nightlife. I'm not sure about that. So I believe that nightlife in Rio is attractive not only because or if it's possible, how can I say, exoticism. I don't know if it, if it makes sense, but I think this image is in the past. And I believe that today's nightlife in Rio can be enhanced by the use of the street. And I think it's, it's something that may be similar to the case of Barcelona. And I tend to believe that there is a certain degree of informality in, in the way people interact in the social encounter, the sociability practices that maybe it can be attractive to, to, to the people and also thinking about tourism. Uh, can be attractive to the tourist. There's one thing that when I study in the in the US, uh, people always remind me of that is the possibility of drinking alcoholic drinks beverages on the street. It's also highlighted that something amazing that you could do this in in, in the street. You can interact in the street, and and maybe it should be attraction also and this kind of night entertainment is very popular and also because it's cheap it's cheaper than you you go to a bar or a restaurant and and have drinks so uh, drinking in public uh, when you buy it with um, camelos is street vending it's it's uh, much more cheap so but it's important to remember also that rio is a hot place especially in summer <laughs> and i think <laughs> a little bit more than Barcelona sometimes. Sometimes, because and you know that summer in Europe usually be a little hotter. So when you have to, the, it's the time when we have the biggest flow of tourists and leisure in public spaces is very common, as I said. And you know Rio because of its public spaces, especially the, the, the beach, and that's highly, high, highly valued as a touristic place. 
and people also enjoy times in in beaches at night so but i should add that a night breeze taken from a table outside a bar should be equally as appreciated when you come to rio and it's interesting to note that the local government has supported this free kind of leisure and entertainment practices and created fairs shows lightning events in public spaces so i think they they're trying slowly to promote nightlife in rio but i think it's it's in the beginning of the process right now and also there are traditional places that offer exclusive shows because you know tourism and also nightlife can be very social segmented but i still believe that many people go to public spaces in search of a, a relaxed form of leisure or sociability in general. And I still believe the night could be a more valued period for promoting tourism in the city because it, this allows us to see the this cultural diversity of our people and in a more relaxed uh, way, but also it uh, have to think about how behavior has been controlled, especially now in, in the pandemic times, when, when you see this, this reinforcement of law in the city. So I think it's a really important topic about the politics of the city. I'm going to come in and ask you um, both a question here, which is about trying to bring together metropolitan tourism and nightlife. And I was wondering if you could say something briefly then about how you think then that nightlife and tourism in these very, very large polycentric cities is perhaps quite different to some of the work we might be more familiar with about um, urban monocentric cities at night? Well, the metropolitan region of Barcelona is polycentric, of course, uh, but the nighttime leisure economy um, is not so polycentric. I mean that um, what is very interesting is that both patterns, monocentric and polycentric, are uh, juxtaposed in the case of the nighttime leisure economy. And it has to do with internal geographical and uh, and socio-economical reasons. Uh, in general terms, uh, metropolitan towns in Barcelona has a high level of socio-spatial segregation. Uh, that is to say, uh, central neighborhoods of metropolitan towns are mostly um, inhabited by Catalan upper middle classes, while peripheral neighborhoods are mostly inhabited by uh, working class migrants. I mean, uh, those who migrated from uh, southern Spain in the 40s, 50s and 60s of the last of the past century, and most recently from uh, who have migrated from Latin America, Maghreb, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and so on. So yeah, there is a high level of social special segregation, and it's important because such pattern of the metropolitan region has a direct effect on this social special distribution of nightlife at the metropolitan level. So while young and other young middle upper classes used to go out um, to venues located at central neighborhoods of these metropolitan towns, young working classes prefer to go out to, for example, huge clubs located at industrial areas, or even more frequently, uh, they prefer to spend the night drinking, chatting, smoking a joint, uh, 
playing Spotify at parks, parking spaces, peripheral areas, and so on. So um, some nightlife is polycentric, but extremely specially, socially, culturally, and even politically segregated. I think Rio is a city that still concentrates a good part of the leisure areas in the upper middle class neighborhoods of the city. But over the past 30 years, you can see here a process of decentralization programs that have been created by the state. Also, with the the inclusion of um, uh, nightlife entrepreneurs. So this program uh, is a... Um, is a tentative to include areas that had little attraction for entertainment, whether whether day or night. Even so, downtown and the south zone are still at the core of tourism in the city. Encouraging polycentrism seems to me to be quite healthy for urban life in, in, in some sense. And it is particularly important for a large city we need people must travel extensively between places of residence and place of leisure. So despite the, the variety of night spots, the most valued attractions are condensed in the same area of the city. I think it's, it's, a, it's a very common problem in the cities worldwide. So people must move to have fun. They have to dislocate and to have fun and spending hours sometimes in public transportation. I'm, I'm talking about the inhabitants of Rio, of course, just to have a few hours. They have to spend a lot of time in public transportation to have a few hours of leisure at night when they decide to go to these very fancy places in downtown area and South Zone, etc. And many nightlife's strategies deal with this problem, a relative urban immobility. So people need to go to distance night centers early and return as late as possible when public transport starts operating again. During my field works, and I was able to follow this long return home. And it was common to see people sleeping on benches at trains, stations and bus stops, waiting for the train or bus to their house. So they really have to plan the nightlife beforehand because it's expensive and also it takes a, 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 a long time to, to, to go to these places and to return. And, but also we, we have, um, how can I say this, um, maybe a happier stories that uh, in the central area, in the central area of the city, more night centers, more nightlife centers, which are closer to each other. So uh, some are just a few minutes uh, a walk away. And this allows that in some areas of the city, which coincide to be tourist areas, people can create nocturnal leisure circuits and people move between nightlife areas. And here we, the Cariocas people, <laughs> say that some of these centers are placed to warm up. It's a brief nightlife before the real nightlife. And it's interesting to point out that this often occurs in in, in provided spaces, such as liquor depots, gas stations, convenience stores, and some kind of the practice is very similar to what Georgie just described about people hanging out, having drinks, uh, having a joint or something like that. So it's a, an economic strategy as well to save expenses before entering clubs where the prices are higher. And however, it's a form of social interaction too. So these are two is extremist examples 
of easy mobility and relative mobility that impacts the way tourists can read the city at night. You've both uh, touched on, I think, the issue here of social inclusion and social justice as well. And I also think in your both of your published work, you've also looked at questions around social inclusion here. And I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that then in terms of in terms of inequality, in terms of inequality in, in regards to both nightlife and tourism. That's one of the most important points in, in even governing the night in Barcelona and the metropolitan area. First of all, there are no policies regarding the governance of the urban night uh, towards, for example, a safer, more inclusive, more sustainable nights, and so on. Actually, uh, the nightlife industry in Catalonia, because of the uh, non-existence of any uh, holistic, integrative uh, body of governing the night, we have some some critical uh, questions regarding nightlife, local communities, tourists and visitors, and social inclusion. Uh, for example, there has been uh, an increasing uh, ghettoization of the night oriented to young migrants. Uh, the presence in central areas of Barcelona and central areas of metropolitan towns during nighttime hours is not welcome and is strongly repressed by police officers. Actually, this is because um, the music tastes are not the same than tourists, for example. Uh, Here, um, local adolescents, uh, teenagers, young people love reggaeton, rap reggaeton, Spanish drill is a kind of uh, trap music. And this kind of music is like uh, the odd low music of the tourist city, the prohibited music in the in in the tourist city. So it's even violently repressed. Like uh, for example, uh, my hometown, Hospital de Llobregat, where every Friday night, every Saturday night, uh, police clashes against some groups of uh, of racialized. Uh, young people, especially Dominicans, Maghrebians, and so on. So, but at the same time, the night in the city center of Barcelona has also now a recent process of ghettoization as well, because uh, tourists, Erasmus students, uh, and expats living in Barcelona need a safe place to go out uh, without any interaction with perilous actors like non-white young migrants from the suburbs. The special structure of the nighttime leisure economy in Barcelona and its metropolitan region is shaped by a number of segregated bubbles rather than a polycentric and integrated uh, system. So, yeah, here the night in Barcelona and the metropolitan towns of Barcelona are, uh, is highly featured by exclusion by even um, racial violence against young people. And it's, 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 a, critical, it's a critical issue uh, because, for example, there are uh, neighborhoods like La Torraza in Hospital de, de Llobregat, uh, near my home here in, in, in Barcelona, uh, where almost 70-80% uh, of people are non-locals. 
So, and the night is full of, of young people with e-scooters, you know, riding around the neighborhood and playing the Spotify playlist in the middle of the street and so on because uh, they cannot go to the city center because of uh, police repression. Police in Barcelona is very racist. I think I can um, focus on four main topics about this. First of all, the problem of mobility. I think it's inequality is reinforced by this, this sense of uh, there is no policies for night mobility. So the system is, uh, is arranged for daily life, not for night life. So you, you can find these problems when you see so many people waiting for uh, returning home. And this, of course, is not a problem only related to nightlife it's also a problem of the city after all because we have this uh, this problem of the size of the city its complexity and it it reveals itself in, in the problem of night mobility as well so i think this is is, is a problem related with inequality the second problem i think it's the behavior control that is it's kind of a model that the, the city mayors have um, applied over and over again, thinking that maybe if you, if we control the, um, the behavior, especially for young people and black people, I should add this, um, in Rio, we, it will uh, summarize the problem um, with nightlife violence. And we think that it's not um, a politic that is, is doing a great job after all. And I should add to this problem of behavior control, a, pr a problem of repression of young leisure, especially, as you know, this gen of music, you, you have very originally in Rio, that is funk music, as you know, some singers as Anita. <laughs> and the kind of uh, funky shows now have a process of repression, especially in this suburban areas. So inequality hits hard and violently in these places. I should add that a biggest issue about inequality in Rio is, uh, I can add the, the problem of works informality. Most of people who works at night works informally. They don't have the, the rights and you work regularly and at day life. So one of the, the issues the, the local government right now is trying to to organize is the problem of workers that is not um, listed in the in the list of uh, authorized workers at night. So informality, I think it's it's a great issue right now. both touched upon the inevitable issue or occurrence of nightlife expanding from the center into multiple centers and metropolitan cities obviously allow for this. There is mention of this in academia, but we also know that it is not quite so simple. We are not necessarily seeing sudden appearance of nightlife where there was none. Instead, we might be seeing reactivation or erasure of what was already there. 
Jordi, can I ask you, what consequences can we expect when this happens and when nightlife expands into multiple centers? Hmm. Well, that's a, it's an interesting point because um, one of the effects of the touristification of nightlife in Barcelona is the loss of the local nightlife. Uh, the loss of the local ways of experiencing the night, um, uh, the reduction size of the nightlife industry, the closing of the permanent closing of um, live music venues, for example, and the homogenization of the cultural uh, cultural and leisure um, supply at, at evening and, and night hours in, in the city. So what many tourists and even Erasmus students or Erasmus tourists, like someone say, uh, want is to experience the local night, experience the local night with locals. Yeah, this is like um, bubbles uh, uh, out of the city where the local night uh, is still surviving against the touristification. So it's interesting because um, one of the positive effects of the touristification of the nightlife in Barcelona city center is uh, uh, like a boom of uh, very particular local nights in the city center of metropolitan towns. Uh, with uh, interesting uh, small music festivals, for example, with interesting, uh, very interesting uh, alternative nightlife spaces, not a formal commercial nightlife spaces, but uh, alternative with um, other approaches about how to enjoy the night. The effects of tourification in the Barcelona city center are not always negative, and this is an example of a positive effect. And um, for the first time <laughs> here in, in Barcelona and even in the metropolitan region, even in Catalonia, some institutional representatives um, have understood that nightlife is not a synonym of sin, immorality, violence, vice, and so on, but a synonym of culture source of socio-emotional well-being, uh, source of multicultural understanding, and so on. So this is a, one of the, one of, I mean, the only one <laughs> positive effects of touristification in the Barcelona city center, the touristification of nightlife in the Barcelona city center. And we will take our positive effects where we can get them. Thank you, Jordi. Marcus, your recent work is also touching upon the subject, talking about the nightlife that was there and being removed by the new form coming in. What is happening to the old nightlife? Is it is it being replaced? This is a very interesting discussion right now, Rio, because that is a widespread idea that the night is currently expanding the city of Rio. You have this kind of idea running through the news and about some suburban areas in Rio. But I think if you if you read the news, you see that almost of the discursive is a strategy of nightlife entrepreneurs. Of uh, they, they always say they bring in new life to, to old old centers in in Rio. It's it's interesting. In fact, in fact, uh, there are recent public policies for the creation of new nightlife areas. It's it's a fact. Uh, 
But, however, this nocturnal leisure has a little-known history in the city, and a history of underground nightlife, I, I might add. And some histories we were able to acquire by reading the news, as, as I, I just said. So you are able to collect them when you search the city archives and also the police pages of newspapers. So there is also a long history of conflicts between residents and patrons of bars and restaurants. And so if some of these places that these nightlife entrepreneurs say that it is, is bringing life um, were repressed and disappeared over time, some of these places. So they, they used to have a, a, a nightlife and what was repressed in the time of our, our dictatorship in the 70s and 80s. So others survived and were renewed by the local government or the, these nightlife entrepreneurs, as they say, and few remain with the original scenery preserved by traditional residents, cultural groups, cultural, social mov movements. So there is a lot of creativity in the way the night has been reinvented in Rio right now. And I think this idea of expansion of nightlife should be and see with criticism because public spaces, squares, streets and corners of the city, all of them have been occupied by young groups with uh, originality, the original way of, of, of thinking about nightlife to organize uh, nightlife around samba, rap, funk, uh, poetry circles. That's why music is so important, important right now because it's the the, the force of this movement and and all of them are examples of space occupation and recreation of the city's nocturnal landscape as I can say that uh, in Rio you can see this permanent conflict between mainstream activity, activities and popular alternatives and this sounded interesting for tourism, it's contradictory but, but interesting and diversity can be attractive to a wider audience of visitors, if we invest in them or thinking about them, not only about the economic around this, but how it resonates what people really think about nightlife in Rio, people who live in Rio. So Jordi, with your mention of drinking and Barcelona's warm nights and thousands of tourists on the beach and enjoying this type of nightlife, and the similar situation in Rio, Marcos, with tourists enjoying what they can't do at home. A question we cannot avoid is obviously the conflict between tourists and residents. So how would you say metropolitan nightlife and night tourism is perceived by the metropolitan residents? Maya, I think this is a long time problem. In, in Rio, these conflicts between residents and uh, the people who enjoy who enjoying nightlife or, or even in these public spaces because of the noise. And you have this, uh, you don't have a, a very restricted law to control that in some areas. But I should add that in some places like the this neighborhood I also um, talked about, Lapa, in the in Rio de Janeiro, and they have these uh, interventions, the, the public interventions that closed the streets, and people could enjoy uh, the the nightlife in the streets. 
So it had it, it makes a lot of noise, and you can uh, say that is a problem because not only um, the residents sometimes calls the the police to to intervene, also they want to uh, impose more rigorous laws to to contain this problem. But sometimes it's it becomes a physical conflict with uh, with people throwing. Um, bottles of water, hot water, in the people in the streets and hurting people, and so it's become a mess. If you could imagine that, so it's not a um, pacific, uh, perfect time uh, the people enjoying in the streets in, in this case, because in these particular nightlife centers, it's always conflictual and problematic to to have these kinds of of uh, behavior in the streets. First time drinking at the beach from Barcelona is a, a structural change of the, the nightlife uh, consumption. It's a structural because rapidly uh, they enjoy the night with uh, their friends without any problem with uh, venue security staff. They play the music they want, so Spotify playlist with music columns. They drink in the place they want. They only expend 10 euros, but not 60 euros that a normal night costs in Barcelona or at any metropolitan town. So it's a it's a change of paradigm. So uh, that that's the point. And, and it's this 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 night at public space, this informal night at at, at the beach in in Barceloneta, for example. Uh, it's it's the only non-adult-centric place that they have today. So is doing this, drinking at the public space at late night hours and drinking, chanting, or whatever, is like reclaiming the right, the only right they have. So um, it's a change of paradigm. Thank you both very much. I think it's been a really interesting discussion, thinking about the issues, the debates, and the complexity of tourism and nightlife in metropolitan cities. So thank you very much for participating in this podcast with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, and I want to thank you for inviting me to be part of this discussion. It's really good to talk about a topic that we have in common. So we have so many questions and this questions opens to wider possibilities to answer this. So it's really, it's really, I should say, I'm very happy to be here and to answer these questions. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me and um, thank you for organizing this uh, very interesting podcast. And yeah, this is a amazing research topic. So yeah, let's, let's work together. Yeah? Thank you very much. And a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for the second installment of SMAT Podcast. If you have questions, ideas, topics, or if you would like to share your expertise with us, our website and email addresses are in the podcast description. Until next time!